Welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church Podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. We are in week three of Advent. Christmas is less than two weeks away. It's not Christmas yet. Christmas is less than two weeks away. We're in Advent. As much as we sing Christmas songs and we're out and about, Christmas has been happening outside of these walls since October, um, so we're, we're well on our way. But we are working through the liturgical season to Christmas together. So remember, Advent means arrival, so we're awaiting the arrival, and so we tell the story from 2,000 years ago, while at the same time telling the story to come of God's reign and completion, while also telling the story of God's arrival in our lives and new births all the time in our hearts through the Holy Spirit like a 3D faith, right? Three-dimensional faith here. Just as we have received the good news as Christians, those of us who are believers, if you want to call us that, or baptized members, we also continue to receive the good news. The work is not done. Amen? What a joy. It continues to arrive. We walk through this season to remember the arrival, which is not easy amidst the rest of our lives. If you're newer to the faith, then The way we say this is we anticipate what God has next for us through Christ Jesus, and Christ Jesus works in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We call it the Trinity. God is creator, son, spirit, Trinity. And so if you're newer, understand that the creator, or father, that language is used, created everything that ever was, ever will be, all that is, and chooses to engage with all of creation. I'm just realizing my mug is still on my shoulder. There we go. That's probably better. God chooses to engage with creation. God doesn't have to do that, but God does. That's our story. In humanity, as human beings, we, friends, have a special place in that engagement with the rest of creation. We are set as stewards. We are set and charged with taking care of, being image bearers. We have a special place in this project called life. But humans tend to start focusing inwardly rather than focusing outwardly on our charge. Amen? It's not just me? All right, good. Not good, but you know what I mean. Our culture has perfected this inward focus so well that we actually now in our culture uphold individualism and self-sufficiency as virtue, and they're not. Not in the grand scheme of the story, as Christ reveals it. Christ came to show us a different way. He came to fully reveal what it means to be a human being. And then through his birth, as we tell it, his life and teaching, his death, his resurrection, we come to see the full revelation of God's word in human beings and what that means. God's grace works in us and around us. Even if we don't know God yet, God's grace is at work. And those of us who can now see God's grace, we celebrate this. We need God's spirit, amen? There is no individualism or self-sufficiency because we need God. And God's grace comes through the Holy Spirit, the presence within us, within us. Christ's work included giving us that Holy Spirit of God, so that we might share the Spirit together as a church. Remember, not as individuals, but as a church body. 
as sisters and brothers, as a new family. Together, we depend upon one another so that through this, we become humanity as it was intended to be. We forget this story sometimes. We still sit apart, right? We're all sisters and brothers, yet we don't sit together like sisters and brothers. I know of a church that married couples don't sit together at church. They all just disperse. Now, this was pre-COVID. But the idea was to highlight in this space where all sisters and brothers together is different. So Advent is a reminder of our calling as we walk in a culture that constantly distracts us and we wander off the path of this story. And so the arrival of rain, the reign of God and Jesus long ago, the arrival to come and the arrival now is what we are focused on. One day everything will be made right. That'll be a good day. You with me? All right, so that's the story. Here we are on this third Sunday of Advent, the Sunday of love. So let us pick up where we left off in the scripture last week and hear from Luke chapter three. Then John said to the crowds who came to be baptized by him, you children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. Don't even think about saying to yourselves, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. The crowds asked him, what then should we do? He answered, whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none, and whoever has food must do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. They said to him, Teacher, what should we do? He replied, Collect no more than you are authorized to collect. Soldiers asked, What about us? What should we do? He answered, Don't cheat or harass anyone and be satisfied with your pay. The people were filled with expectation and everyone wondered whether John might be the Christ. John replied to them all, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks in his hand. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn. But he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. With many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Lots of good news in there, huh? <laughs> Fire and all sorts of stuff happening. We're back in the wilderness with the camel hair wearing, locust eating son of a priest who's just wandering the wilderness. He's calling people to that wilderness for a baptism different than the baptism we enter into. Our baptism is in the risen Christ. It's a little different than what John's doing here. He calls them into something related, although it's different. So we talked about the significance of the word of God coming to John in the first place, not to the seat of power in Rome, not to the seats of power in Israel, not even to the temple in Israel, but outside of all that to John. Now, John was outside of the systems in place, but he was not an outsider. John's father was a priest. John's family would have grown up with very strict religious practice, and he would have participated in that. He knows the story. He knows what the temple's supposed to be about, and he knows it's not about that, which is why he's outside of it. 
He's an Israelite through and through, and that's why he can be a prophet to his people. You can only be a prophet to your own people. If someone came in here and spoke this morning from a different religious faith, would you give their words your attentive ear? Probably not. If your family member says something to you that's maybe a little hard to hear, do you hear it? Yeah, your family, your close friends, you hear that because they know you, you know them. You can be prophetic with each other. You can be honest. This is why if you try to be prophetic with someone you don't know, it rarely goes well. This is why when people with opposing opinions who don't know each other just start arguing back and forth, rarely does fruit come from that interaction. John spoke prophetically to his own people in his own tradition and faith, but spoke prophetically, critically. Repentance is what he's calling out and inviting people into. It's a complicated practice, only because we complicate it. Repentance, as you'll see here, is a simple idea, change of mind. You turn around. I like to define it as you're reoriented. So have you ever missed your turn on your GPS, and then your phone has to recalculate and reorient the path to get you back on the path? It's something similar. In faith, we are on the path, and before we know it, we miss turns. And so we repent. Repentance isn't a one-time thing. We repent, and we change our direction. We turn around sometimes if we need to, as long as it's legal. Don't just cross traffic for no reason. We acknowledge we're off the path and orient ourselves back to it. What John is doing here is inviting people of Israel, God's people, not to something brand new, but back to what it is they were supposed to be about in the first place. He invites them to be who they are on the path they were called to walk. I'm in the process of working through Christmas movies this year. Anyone with me on that? Yeah, I got some favorites. We watched Love Actually this week, and there's a scene where the character that plays the British prime minister, he's brand new to the position. And as he's getting to know his staff, he starts realizing that there's feelings growing for someone on his staff, and it's becoming a distraction, and he's really struggling to do the duty knowing that he's having these feelings with someone he works with all the time. And at one point in the movie, he sits down and he says, I'm, I'm the prime minister, crying out loud. He tries to regain his senses. He's saying it to himself. He is getting distracted, and he has to, this is who I am, and I need to remember that. We all kind of do this, don't we? We get off the path, and we have to remind ourselves who we really are. That's what's happening with John. You've gotten off the path. Remember who you are. He's inviting them into the waters to symbolically wash away all the grime and dirt they've picked up off the path so that they may be clean and ready for the arrival of the kingdom coming imminently in Christ. It was Israel that was originally called to be the people of God, to embody the very character of God, to act as representatives of God to the rest of the world, to live out God's justice rather than anyone else's to be a different kind of people, not like the rest of the world. In fact, the men all looked differently in very distinguishable ways. They were to be a living example of God so that the world would come to know God through them. It was their charge given to them because originally it was all humanity that was given this charge, but we know how that went. And so God then came to this people to get the whole world back on path. But then they did what we do. They became like the rest of the world as a nation. They played politics like other nations. They had 
turned their religion into some sort of system of who was in and who was out. The people that do that are always in. Isn't that weird? They're always in. Their justice was out of order. The rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. It's not the way God intended. Connection to God with the character of grace and with mercy and justice had been exchanged for an exclusive legalism that fixated on maintaining a temple system in place, which survived by telling people how awful they were and then giving them the hoops they had to jump through to have peace with God. And oftentimes those hoops lined the pocket of those who held them. It's a nice little system, isn't it? For some, terrible for others. Israelites who were elite viewed themselves as special. Not special as in they were given this charge on behalf of the world, but special as in we're Israel and you're not. Look at us, chosen people. John says, don't, don't do that. The label of sinner that you read in Scripture became a way to exalt the holy at the expense of the already downtrodden. And today we use different labels, don't we? To label people in a way that exalts us and humbles or humiliates them. Entire groups are labeled in such a way that just by assigning the title, you're placing them lower and you refuse to acknowledge the ignorance of this move. We do this. Have you heard some of these labels? You ever been in a conversation about politics and let's say you're Republican and then you say, oh, the liberals. Or if you're a Democrat, you say, oh, the conservatives. Or you might say boomers, right? Or you might say snowflakes or whatever the labels have come to be. We do this. Or maybe a more comfortable way to say this is, oh, the boilermakers. What are the labels that you hear? What are the labels that are given to you? What are the labels you use? We all fall into this. These are products of broken systems and broken people. John plays the game with them for a moment and refers to them with a label. He calls them children of snakes, or maybe your translation says brood of vipers. That sounds much more foreboding, you brood of vipers. And unlike Matthew, who just labels the Pharisees and scribes that way by John and the way the story's told. In Luke, the entire crowd is called children of snakes. Everyone's given this label. You want to play labels? Well, then that's made you this, is what John says. It's a strange thing to call them. Have you ever been called a child of a snake? Have you ever been called a snake? It's different to be called a snake versus a child of a snake. John calls them offspring. The reason being is they come from systems that have produced corruption in them. The system has given offspring that are corrupted, has made them the offspring of the system, the snake. Does that make sense? They've all been led astray by corrupt systems, just like us. They are children who don't know any better, just like us. But here they are heeding the call to repentance nonetheless. And it's so funny because John says, who warned you to flee? And they're like, you did, John. You did. You called us out here. He's being rhetorical. You didn't learn it from your system. So consider who called you. How did you come to know this? Why are you entering the waters? 
And then they respond as they remember who it is they're called to be, as they leave what it is they have been a part of. And as they become once again who they are, they ask a simple question. What should we do? What should we do? What does this look like, John? We're in the waters. Now what? John's answer is the same and different for each group. Overall, he basically says, be fair and be just. Share. Share everything. Keep only what you need. Give the rest away. Be honest. Be kind. And then he gives them in different ways. So to the neighbors, he says, well, if your neighbor only has one coat, you have two. Give them a coat. If your neighbor's hungry and you have excess food, give them some food. And then to the tax collectors, the toll workers, he doesn't tell them to quit their job. Notice that. They were despised for doing their job. He says, no, I know unemployment is not an alternative that's plausible. Why don't you do your work in that system differently? Instead of being in a different place, be in that place different. Be fair. Don't exploit. You have every opportunity to exploit, but don't do it. Refuse to play the game. And for those with power, soldiers, don't abuse your power. You can. No one's going to stop you. But that doesn't mean you should because that's not who you are. So what's this mean for us? I've never been a soldier. I'm not a tax collector. I'm a neighbor. But as we prepare in this arrival, this season of Advent, what must we do is a good question for you to ask. What must we do? The answer is simple. Be who you claim to be. Be who you are at all times. And so that might look like one way in your role as a parent, as an employee, as a child, as a retiree, that may look like if you're a patron at a restaurant, if you're a server at the restaurant, if you're the manager at the restaurant, it's going to look a little different depending on what your life is all about. And all of it, though, we can give the same answer. Set aside your self-sufficiency and stop lauding individualism as some sort of virtue. It's not. We give that up when we come into the church. We need God. We are not self-sufficient. We must remove ourselves from the place of being gods. We love to be Christians and tell people what to do, right? Instead, we, we give that seat up. We let God be God. We acknowledge that we're, we're no different than anybody or anything else. We treat the earth right. We treat each other right. And we let this proper relationship be in alignment and our actions simply follow. If you align your life this way, you're going to lose your sense of desire for pride and for excess, for rights, and for substance. If you have excess, you're going to want to give it away. And that's a really hard message in this season, is it not? We're all acquiring more and more and looking to give more and more. How do we do it different? It's a good question. Be fair. Be honest. If you looked at the tag on your shirt, how many in here's shirt would say made in America? Probably none of you. Why is that? Because we like cheap shirts. And we can make it cheaper somewhere else where they don't pay people well. And they make them work long hours and they don't treat them right. And they can put it on the shelves a lot cheaper. Think about that. They can send it on a ship over the ocean on a plane through the air cheaper than they could have just made making it right here. So when you buy a shirt, 
you're participating in what's happening over there, even though they work very hard for you to never to see it. So what would it look like if we said, no more? What would that look like? It'd be hard. You might not have very many clothes. <laughs> We'd be humble and honest in our relationship if we love each other. Love as Christ loved, self-giving love, demanding nothing in return, expecting nothing in return, willing to offer all we have, knowing they could never earn or deserve it. You can define these actions however you are led to, and we must use prayer and discernment through the Holy Spirit to help us know from moment to moment from roll to roll, from place to place, what does it look like here? Which means we gotta be praying a lot, or that's me. I'm gonna need to be in prayer all the time because it's hard to remember the story, amen? But John says, reorient, friends, repent. Christ is coming who will sort all things out. And then lots of little images of trees and fire and, and wheat. The tree, remember, should be producing fruit, but the systems in place weren't producing fruit. They were producing what? Snakes. So the ax is already at the root. It will be chopped down. Those systems do not belong. The wasteful parts of our lives will be removed too. There will be a baptism, not of water, but of the fire and Holy Spirit, this kind of baptism that purifies us. The work of fire and Holy Spirit is to remove the things that don't belong. So this great image is given of the winnowing fork and the threshing floor. Have you ever seen this? Anyone ever done this work? If you have, it was you were really little and it was a long time ago. What you do is you bring all the wheat, the whole thing, all together, because they didn't have combines and all the sophisticated machines, and you'd take a winnowing fork and you'd throw it in the air with just a little bit of wind, and what would happen is the chaff and the stuff that wasn't the seed would blow away. So then seeds would fall down, and you'd throw it up again, and the blow more away. And you keep doing that until all you have left is what it is you're after in the first place, the fruit, the seed of the wheat, and the rest is off to the side. You gather it, and you burn it, and get rid of it because it's useless. That's the work that John says we're entering into, that Christ is coming to do, to toss us in the air, to let all that doesn't belong fall away and be consumed in fire that we may be what we were called to be, to be fruitful and to be fruit. And so we offer ourselves in baptism. We willingly offer ourselves into this work. You know that you're gonna lose some things that right now you're pretty comfortable with. Me too, okay? There's a mirror right here. Are you willing to fully offer yourself? We want the holy wind to come into our lives and sweep away that that doesn't belong, don't we? We want to be what it is we truly are to begin with, true humans, children of God. We want this. And we have to remember that every single moment, and that's hard. But the good news is the Holy Spirit does purify us with God's love again and again and again as we offer ourselves in repentance again and again. When we make it a daily practice to pray to God to change our hearts and lives, change our relationships, Lord. Help us be who we are in our relationships. Help us be who you intend for us to be in every moment, no matter who we are relating to. Reveal your grace and love through the Holy Spirit and through me that I may become your child to show the world this better way. 
God will answer that prayer. So be warned if you pray it. And when we do this, we'll find our lives being cleansed of excess, of pride, of superiority and privilege, of anger about things that we shouldn't be angry about, but also some anger that we, about things we should be angry about. We'll lose fear that we don't need anyway. When this happens, labels fall away. Our desire to be self-sufficiency will, will no longer matter because we want to be dependent upon God. This will free us, friends. This frees you to live true life, to be who you are. Human beings living as humans, just like Christ. Human beings who are truly God's representatives in the world and displaying love, just like Christ. Human beings who live in the systems that are in place, but in a different way, because our hearts belong to only one system, and that is the kingdom of God. The way we engage with creation, it mirrors God's way, or it should. And our life should reflect allegiance to Christ. So friends, let us continue our preparation for the arrival, all that it means now, all that it will mean, all that it meant. And let us offer that same repentance. I invite you, whether you're baptized or not, I invite you, I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to say a line, and then I invite you to repeat it if you would like to repeat it in a prayer of repentance. And if you don't, not ready, that's okay. Then just, you can listen to us repeat it. But I invite you to take a moment, and then as I read the lines, if you want to join in, then repeat them. Comfort us now, most holy God. Speak tenderly to us and hear our cry. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, we come to you broken and repentant. Oh God, heal our brokenness and forgive our sins. Lift us, O oh Lord, from the depths of despair. We repent and ask that our sins be forgiven. Almighty God, lead us into the freedom of your purifying love in Jesus. Through your Holy Spirit, we ask these things. Amen. We thank you for worshiping with us. And it is our hope that through the Holy Spirit, you have felt the touch of God upon your life. If you would like to know more about our church and its ministries, please visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.